without asking specifically what you told him, what was the sentiment of the message? Uh, you know me. <laughs> you know me. Uh, it's my obligation. It's my job to continue to pass on the game to the guys that's coming in after me. It's just my responsibility. Uh, no one told me to do that. I just feel like it's just my responsibility um, to leave the game in a better place than the one I had it. And when you see the class of guys that's in our league right now, I mentioned, like I mentioned John last night, you mentioned Zion tonight, you see Trey Young, you see Luka Doncic, you see Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, you just see all these guys, these young guys. Just, you know, the, the league is in a, in a very good place. And if, uh, if I'm able to give my wisdom and game, pass it down no matter when I'm, when I'm playing or after I'm playing, uh, I feel like it's my it's my it's my job because the game has just given me so much since I started playing when I was eight years old. So it's it's it's, it's my responsibility. And uh, you know anybody that says that um, you know LeBron, why would he do that? Why he's playing? It's a starting sign of weakness. You know, it's buddy buddy with the guys that he's going against. Tell me, kiss my ass. Welcome to Tampering with Sam Amick and Joe Varden. This beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Uh-huh, uh-huh, to be able to bring uh-huh. people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast at The Athletic. I'm Sam Amick, NBA Insider at The Athletic, here as always with friend, colleague, co-worker, partner, co-host, Joe Varden. What's up, brother? How the hell are you? Oh, man. I'm uh, trying to keep it under 5,000 calories a day here in New Orleans, and it's uh, it's not going well. Man, I got it. We're, we're going to start there. And so, housekeeping real briefly, buddy. First of all, we decided this week that we are going to shamelessly ask the loyal listeners, well, I guess not the loyal ones, the, the new listeners, to subscribe to the pod and review it and tell us how we can improve and get better. We try to pull the curtain back on all things NBA every single week, uh, but we're certainly trying to grow this thing. So any help on that front, whether it's Apple Podcasts um, or through the app, is greatly appreciated. On this week's show, uh, one of the common threads between Joe and I's recent travels or kind of coverage uh, paths, so to speak, is the one, the only Zion Williamson. We're going to be Zion heavy this week. The Pelicans rookie finally back on the floor. We talked last week about how great of a start he had been off to, and now it's you know it, within the context of a race for eighth in the West that is about as compelling as anything out there on the court right now uh, for the next six weeks or so. We are going to talk about Zion in the context of the great LeBron James because Joe covered that game the other day. With Lakers Pelicans, Joe wrote about a uh, an idea that I, I'm curious to dig into this one a little bit. The idea that is LeBron, you know, not being as warm to Zion in the early going of his career as you know, it sounds weird to say, but maybe he should be, or people think he should be. Uh, Joe, I, I read the piece. I, I got questions. You you got some pushback from readers. You got some readers who said, "Hell yes," like I agree with you. Um, so that'll be interesting to get into. Um, other things on the docket. Um, Kevin Durant floated through his agent and business associate, Rich Kleiman, 
recently that he's thinking about being part of Team USA in the Tokyo Olympics next summer, which is where Joe and I will be also covering that squad. What does that mean? Do we think this might actually happen? Last but not least, uh, among some other things, my favorite topic that Joe floated was uh, with your time in New Orleans, Joe, I hear that, that you're concerned about vampires being real, and, and this is where your head is at these days. Is that accurate? Yeah. So I've got a pamphlet in front of me. My my son, he loves to he, – he says that he loves all these things that are haunted, like he's not afraid of haunted houses and things like that, which he's never been in a haunted house, so I think he's all talk. Uh, at the tender age of nine, but I'm looking at a at a a pamphlet right now that says French Quarter Vampire Tour, and these tours are 8:30 p.m. nightly. They take two hours. Um, it would cost you and I 25 bucks. Uh, and here's what it says: Our Vampire Tour allows you to enter the dark and mysterious world of the undead, walk through history, and experience the legends of famous New Orleans vampires, real and fictional. I'm going to stop right there. Now, I'm an Anne Rice fan. Uh, saw the vampire movies, read all of read all of the books out of the Vampire Chronicles. Um, but I mean, this is all make believe, right? There's no vampires don't exist, or do they? I mean, you know, that's that's why the the mystery is there. I don't know how to answer that. I, I joked off air that I thought. If we have vampire candidates, I thought that Kawhi Leonard was possibly <laughs> the closest thing to one. Maybe because he uh, he kind of looks like Wesley Snipes from um, – why am I forgetting what movie that was where Wesley was a vampire? Blade. All right. Well, here's my weak attempt at a segue, buddy. Uh, some of the readers of your column were, were out for blood when it comes to uh, – hey, but I'm shooting. Thank you. Drum roll. Rob, could you please? Maybe not. Um, let's talk Zion and LeBron and – the you know the, the the genesis of your vampire commentary comes from New Orleans, and uh, I for one, you talk about food, you talk about restaurants. Uh, no complaints if we end up jumping on a plane and doing Lakers Pelicans in the first round. Um, but because those two teams played each other twice in the span of four or five days, whatever it was, you know, you decided to analyze the relationship or lack thereof um, before you jump in. The extent of my observations on this front were that. After the Pelicans played the Warriors leading into their first Lakers matchup, I had actually asked Ion about what the influence of LeBron had been on his childhood, on his basketball identity, all of the above. Just what part, if any, did LeBron play for you growing up? And he honed in, I remember, on the first Cleveland chapter and said that he watched a lot of, of that version of LeBron's career, which, you know, if you do the math, that's pretty young in, in Zion's formative years. Um, and was generally very complimentary. Uh, but you certainly seem to think and wrote that there's a, a weird vibe and a dynamic here. What's what what kind of pushed you down that path, and, and how do you see this thing? Yeah, I mean, I just basing it off of um, just everything that we see, and and just basing basing what both. You know, one young man, one older man uh, by NBA standards, what they have said about each other. I just thought that Tuesday um, when they played each other was just just really strange with with the questions and, and the answers to the questions with the way LeBron wanted to make clear that he had never spoken to Zion ever, ever. Um, let's not forget that LeBron went to a 
Duke basketball game last year. Um, just as an ex- as an aside, I mean, never never mind the three times that the Lakers and and Pelicans had played each other, and and Zion was at all three of those games. He played in one, obviously. Um, never mind the comparisons uh, between LeBron and Zion, and just sort of how like Zion's kind of like the heir apparent. Um, you know, I was in L.A. the night that LeBron. Um, was yucking up with Ja after the game and 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 told him anything you need on or off the court. So like there is obviously uh you know a willingness on LeBron who he does do this all the time to be a mentor, to reach out or to be very much open if somebody reaches out to him. Um frankly in a way that was not there when he was 18 years old and he was hoping for similar things from Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. Um, so then you have Zion, who, uh, you know, on Tuesday was like, yeah, yeah, he's great. And it was playing against him was was cool, uh, but we lost and like kind of quickly got um, annoyed with the questions. And it just that he had also doubled down saying, you know, that he had never spoken with LeBron either. So so f- I f- came down here on Thursday night um Yes, the Lakers are playing Sunday, and I'm going to be at that game. I know this comes out Monday, uh, but but the Cavs were here on on Friday, and so I thought this would be a good trip, which is why I booked it in advance. Um, but then I was looking at it from this perspective: if the Cavs had won, or something had happened that was that was worthy of writing about the Cavs, I would have done it, um, and and I would have kind of held this other thing until either today or, or maybe make it the the thing that I wrote off of the Lakers Pelicans game. But that didn't happen, so I asked Zion uh, straight up after the game um, if – you know, you two have both made it clear there is no relationship between you. And I'm just wondering why Why do you think that is? And he just said, well, you know, our paths haven't crossed. And that's just not true. It's just not even close to true. Um, it, his uh, – you know, th- th- they've been in the th- – Sunday will be the at least the fifth time that they have been together. Um, and it's just, it's just strange. I mean, like Zion, you know, he was talking about all the people that he, I mean, he talked about Kevin Love for, <laughs> he knows Kevin Love and, and he talks about his draft class and just, so it is, um, it was, uh, something that I just felt should be pointed out. Listen, at this, at this stage of their careers where LeBron is still the proverbial face of the NBA, Zion appears to be next barring injury. When you just look at everything he has going for him. And as of now, uh, there is – yeah, yeah. No, I mean there's – and then I've heard about Luka, Don, uh, Luka you know, Doncic as well. I, I – I, yeah, I mean I struggle. Uh, I mean that's a different conversation. Um, that's a different conversation. But anyway, yeah, uh, at this stage there is – not a relationship the way that there really wasn't one uh, when LeBron w- was that age. And, you know, we don't know why the story says that we don't know, don't know why that is, but here are their quotes. Here's what we know about LeBron's past. And so, you know, it's just, I mean, why do you just to cut to the nitty gritty? And this is the fun part of having a pod with you. Cause you know, I've got access to the guy that, that, that wrote the column. So I feel like this is one of those things where you probably have some strong opinions about why you think this is happening. Do you have suspicions that, that, you know, is this a story where you're kind of 
potentially um, setting the stage for the next story where, where we learn more about what the dynamic actually entails or are you legitimately confounded as to why they, they, they have not made more of an effort to connect? <laughs> well, um, I have some insider, uh, I, I have some inside knowledge about who may, may or may not have read the piece. Uh, so I fully expect um, <laughs> either before or after the game on Sunday for there to be, you know, bro hugs and laughs and, and whispers and, and who knows what they're going to say. Um, Just to be clear, this will be but, between Zion and LeBron, not not you that, and LeBron. That's, that's right. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, LeBron will probably have something to say to me as well. Um, but look, no, I mean, I, I went into this uh, wondering um, and and sort of suspicious that LeBron, because he actually recognizes that 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 this is the guy who's next, Zion, um, that he just for whatever re- like just I don't know if it's from uh, a reflex or a, because it happened to him when he was literally in in Zion's shoes to 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 be standoffish, but I don't actually think that's the whole picture, and in part. Um, like Zion really doesn't like at least to this point he hasn't sought LeBron at all and it's not something that he is into um it, it just kind of wired differently than than LeBron was and so it's not necessarily ne- nefarious but it's certainly i mean look and the story says this this is the day and age in the NBA where everybody's friends and th- there's all kinds of examples of mentorships going on, and we see it in, in plain sight with LeBron and John Morant. I mean, they, they are just—it's a love fest. And two years ago, LeBron was doing the same thing with with Lonzo Ball um, when LeBron was with the still with the Cavs. And so he he does this, and then you have like the player who's kind of obvious, like they're compared to each other all the time and, and there is no relationship. It was worth, you know, it it was worth just bringing to the forefront, but that, I mean, that's a good question. I'm curious to see where it goes. I mean, the, the one, again, the exception um, to the picture you're painting is, is again, that guy in Milwaukee. Um, I, I I love how Giannis is wired and the fact that he's, I mean, it's not to say there's anything wrong with these guys being friendly, but the old school approach that he has taken and it, and it kind of reared its head again, Recently, when James Harden took exception to what Giannis had to say about him at the All-Star game, if you remember when he was asked essentially why he didn't pick James Harden, and I think he went with Kemba Walker, it was because you know Kemba passed the ball. Um, and so then our, our friend and colleague Rachel Nichols from ESPN shares that quote with Giannis, and, I'm sorry, with James in her sit-down interview with him. And and so next thing you know, you have a, a Harden-Anacumpo back and forth where they're kind of throwing shade at one another's game. But that is certainly the exception these days. For the most part, it's guys lifting one another up. It's guys going to dinner, you know, in advance of games. It's guys swapping jerseys after games. And so, uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, we'll see um, where LeBron and Zion choose to take this dynamic independent of all that. I mean, my God, those two guys, like we've known the business benefit of LeBron for almost two decades now, but um, it has been a sight to behold for me just in the span of about three weeks to see how good Zion Williamson might possibly be for the NBA's business. And we're not just talking hoops here, Joe. I mean, we're talking like after a disastrous ratings year where Adam Silver and and co uh, have every reason to be concerned. uh, You know, he's single-handedly kind of turning that, uh, you know, that, that ship around. 
We'd like to pause for a brief minute to ask you, our hoops-crazed, behind-the-scenes loving basketball aficionado, loyal listeners of the Tampering Podcast, to click into the show notes for today's episode and then follow the link that's there for a very short survey. You all know so much about Joe and I, everything we do, our travels, which teams we're high on, which teams we're low on, everything in between. We don't know anything about you. The survey is 11 super simple questions and will take you under 60 seconds, I promise. So head to the show notes for today's episodes and click on the link. Yeah, and so and I, I think you've kind of hinted enough um, at, at not agreeing with this idea that Zion is the heir to, to talk about this a little bit. When you talk about face of the league and, um, you know, I think we can both agree that for a long time that has been LeBron and it's been a combination of uh, his nearly unmatched success on the court in terms of making eight straight finals and these MVPs and whatever. Um, And then also just this outrageous, uh, you know, drawing power off the floor like he's as, you know, all – all the impacts that he makes as a businessman on the league and and off the court, um, and and you see the same chance with with Zion because he is a total freak. Um, he appears to have a very you know wonderful personality, uh, great smile that that matters. Um, you know, Giannis is ridiculous. Uh, he's 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 going to be at least a two time MVP and probably a bunch more. Um, you know, when you start talking about off-court, like drawing power, earning power, that sort of thing, like I hesitate to say that that any non-American player is going to be the actual face of the league, um, and so that's why, like, I hesitate with Giannis, I hesitate with with Luca. Um, but then also, I mean, like when you're talking about earning stuff and you're talking about this and that, like Giannis has got a tough last name. It's really hard to pronounce, uh, if you're not like in the league and doing it for, um, for a living. And so I wonder when it comes to just this sort of like total marketability, total all package included, I, I wonder in the long run, like if, if that will limit him. I mean, he is, he's great. He's, he, you know, he's the, he's the best or second best player in the league. Probably I'd say second best player in the league. Um, but he's only going to get better and he's just a, he's a great guy to be around. But, um, do we, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We will. That's, that's why I want to assume. Are you putting, uh, are you putting LeBron there? Number one? No, yeah. actually Kawhi. Okay. Interesting. No, I hear you on all that. I mean, I, th- I would argue that, you know, Giannis's market is probably limiting him even more than his name at this point. Uh, his personality is is a pleasant, positive one, but it's, you know, like you said, he doesn't necessarily have the dynamic smile of, of a Zion. I mean, I don't know what we're talking about here. I think on the basketball side, um, it's still, I, I joked last week that, that I, you know, I was unofficially becoming a member of Bucks PR and having the appreciate the Bucks kind of campaign from now until the end of the year. And we saw it again today. I mean, I watched their game against Charlotte. They actually, it was, it was very uh, against their normal mode and character The under a hundred points for the first time in 83 games struggled to get past Charlotte, uh, end up winning, I think by eight, but Giannis turning in, I believe 42, 20 and six, um, you know, the, the numbers, uh, I mean, I, I have the utmost respect for Mr. Harden's game and what James does on the court, especially at his size, and given his skill set is incredible, but could not disagree with him more about the way he tried to characterize Giannis the other day. Um, I mean, this <laughs> dude is hitting turnaround jumpers on the left baseline. 
Uh, he's finding people in traffic. He's obviously defending at the rim. He's doing Wilt Chamberlain things, which is sacrilege yeah. to say, but but he is. Um, but no, I, I hear you on all that. I, and this is like this segment brought to you by NBA PR, like between Zion, Ja, uh, Giannis, all of the above with LeBron still doing his thing with AD. Part of that, Kawhi, Paul George, uh, who, you know, as we speak, I'm watching them play Philly and they're pulling away from the Sixers a little bit. Um, the, the next generation's in pretty damn good shape. Yeah, and that was that was something that LeBron was saying Saturday in Memphis, and and it's something I mean it's it's plain you know it's in plain sight when you have in the case of of Luca and Trey, I mean those are the two they're the first two sophomores to be um to to be all star. I can't remember what like I had I wrote this, but that like they're the they were the first two sophomores in the all star game. Um, together in the same year since LeBron and, and Dwayne. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. So that's, and then, and then you add in the obvious star power of Zion and Ja and yeah, it's, it, you know, the future's bright. I agree. Um, you know, I know we were going to talk about KD and, and team USA and whatnot. Um, front and center though, I, it's recency bias because I got the Clippers on in front of me here and it never gets old trying to dissect who they are and, and where they're going. Um, what do you make of as we break down title contenders all the time and figure out who's legit and who's not and who's kind of laying in the weeds and and who's a, a well-oiled machine? What do you make of of them in the here and the now? I mean, they continue to turn in incredibly impressive performances and then turn around, you know, with very mysterious, uh, confounding ones at the same time. Um, what do you think of that squad right now? Yeah, I mean, that's. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like, and I know we've talked about this before, but I still, f- I feel like they're the, probably the favorite. I think to win it all, um, even though they they're just kind of humming along in second or tied for second, whatever, somewhere in there with Denver. Um, but but they just they're so deep, um, and they have they don't have a ton of champions. I mean, obviously they they've got one who's pretty good, um, but but they have a bunch of guys who have been in the league for a long time and just kind of know that you don't really need urgency uh, in this regular season. And so I really feel like that's how they've attacked this. Um, It's been the attitude from the head of the organization all the way down to the 15th guy um, that you just, that you're just kind of slowly building for when things really matter. Um, Confounding that uh, is just that Paul George really hasn't been all that healthy. Um, And so you know, he's going to get right come April. Um, and then you still have like two, like a round or two anyway of playoffs to, to really uh, get get it together and get it in, into form. Um, and we've just, we've seen that before. I mean, you know, they're um, one of the guys on, on Doc Rivers bench is Ty Lue. And that's how his Cavs teams always were. Um, that it was, it was all about getting ready for the playoffs. It was not about the urgency of any one particular game in the regular season. And um, I just think, I think they're too deep at almost every position. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they, you know, they lost three in a row recently and they lose four out of five, you know, and then they turn around and, and they make quick work of Memphis beat Phoenix, beat Denver, which is another conversation. Denver, you know, having some bad losses lately uh, got beat yesterday. So um, continuing to, to try to figure that out. Um, my friend on the travel front next week, and this is something else we're going to get into is I'm going to head out to New York partly to, to go check in with our folks at the old athletic New York headquarters and 
and take a peek at the Knicks, Nets, Rockets, Grizzlies. Um, those those are the four squads in town when I'm there. But stop number two on the old road trip is Boston and the Sloan Conference, which um, is something that we could probably do a, a pod all of its own on Sloan and, and what it is and kind of what part it plays within the NBA ecosystem. Uh, what Have you ever been to Sloan before? Let me start with that. No, and so I I, I want to hear about this. Sure. I, yeah, I mean, I think you have been there, and I think it would be good to just kind of explain what this is really like. Yeah, so Sloan Conference, the, the easiest way to break down for the listeners who are not aware what it is, it is the basketball equivalent of, you know, the old baseball book Moneyball written by Michael Lewis where Oakland A's general manager Billy Bean revolutionized the game with the way that he used analytics and stats to to find talent, and and obviously in baseball that was all about you know on base percentage and uh, and just changing the way the game was viewed. Now the closest thing to basketball, and it's a simplistic parallel, but it's it's kind of unavoidable. Um, the closest parallel is Daryl Morey of the Rockets. Daryl uh, is you know a co-founder of the Sloan Conference, which has long since become the kind of the annual epicenter for these types of conversations, you know, finding new ways to study the game, finding new ways to find talent. And on the whole, it's a, it's an event that I've always enjoyed. You know, the selfish purposes are, there's a lot of people from the NBA there and it's a pretty low key setting. So you get good, uh, good FaceTime with people who, who matter. And, you know, it's an enjoyable thing to go take part in. Um, but it's also got a, a, a kind of a, a darker side, to be honest with you, which is, something I think we should keep looking at more and more closely every single year, which is to say that it's it's rooted in in the Ivy League culture and the fact that uh, what has happened over the years is a lot of incredibly smart people coming from that sector have gotten their toe into the NBA world because they've shown you know some propensity to see the game differently, some ability to bring something to the table within an NBA team, uh, which is all well and good. But uh, you know, a lot of different times it ends up pushing out um, whether it's former players, whether it's, you know, other people certainly, you know, who don't look the same. I mean, you're talking about a very white Ivy league crowd for the most part. And, a, and a, I think a frustration within the African-American community within the NBA that some of those jobs, you know, don't go, uh, are not more equitable and that there, there's a, a real bias, I think, towards the idea of Ivy league folks, you know, getting a lot of these gigs and that dynamic has ebbed and flowed, I think for quite some time. Uh, but the, you know the conference remains strong, and it, it certainly brings value to the table. But um, a couple of years ago, Joe, I guess to put a, a, a cherry on top of that point, I remember talking to Jalen Rose uh, on a podcast when I was at USA Today about this topic. And it, what's been interesting the last couple of years is you see the Jalen Roses, the Michelle Roberts, the head of the Players Union, people like that, saying, "Okay, we're not we're not here to." you know, to rain on the Sloan Conference parade, but there is a need to open up this conversation and include former players and include, uh, you know, folks who, who don't fit that Ivy League profile. So it's been super fascinating for me to see, you know, kind of that evolution the last uh, five, six, seven years. So the thing I wanted to ask about this, and because and, uh, as I said, I've never been there. Um, and, and some of our listeners, maybe most, I'm not, I don't know, they've heard of this thing called um, – the World Economic Forum. It's held every year in Davos, Switzerland. Uh, and, and that kind of reminds me of Sloan, just kind of listening to your, your description of it. 
And the thing about this World Economic Forum in, in Davos is like so the richest and most powerful people in the world go up into this mountain um, and they wear sweaters and they have these conferences where with panel discussions and you talk about how to solve all the world's problems. Um, and then there's all kinds of entertainment at night. There's parties. John Legend performs, you know, Bono, all, all this stuff. Um, but I think the the overriding criticism of this thing is you've got the rich and powerful getting together and they talk and they, they lock arms and then nothing really ever comes out of this. Um, there isn't, you know, like you, you, you don't see the tangible benefit of whatever they discussed becoming policy in the world. And so what is it that comes out of Sloan that we see? Like what, what is the good of this? Um, I, I, my hesitation is I wish, you know, we should have said we were going to deep dive on this this week and I could have come at you loaded with, you know, all sorts of anecdotal evidence. Um, so, but in general terms, I would tell you that, you know, the way that the game has continued to, to be changed as far as how it's viewed is a lot of times rooted in the conversations that take place there, uh, whether it's okay. an openness towards things. I mean, there's no, there's no, it's not an accident that small ball is now being tested to the absolute hilt or tilt rather with Daryl and his rockets where they've decided to trade Clint, uh, big man, Clint Capella, get PJ Tucker, six foot five and they're at center, spread the floor and, and focus, you know, almost entirely on threes and layups and just clearing the lane uh, you know, just in, in eschewing the mid range completely. And, you know, that sort of thing uh, is a product of it. It's also, and, you know, I, I, maybe next week I'll come back with a bunch of examples. But yeah. again, in, in terms of the front office positions, you know, there are, there is a path where, you know, young Ivy Leaguer writes a paper that gets roundly celebrated at the Sloan Conference. Ivy Leaguer then meets NBA people who are impressed by his brain. And, you know, young Ivy Leaguer now is getting an NBA paycheck and is part of an analytics team for, you know, whichever squad it might be. So it has become a path that uh, I, I think the, again, the the complaint and the frustration in the player community or the former player community is that it's just a very powerful path that is structured in the kind of way that in and of itself is not, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, except that there doesn't appear to be any similar type path for players. There's not a conference, you know, where, where guys who did the blood, sweat and tears of actually putting together an NBA career and who are also very smart uh, folks in their own right can go down this similar path and, and be part of, of NBA front offices or, or coaching staffs, whatever it might be. Let's stay here on the global stage um, and talk a little bit about KD. Uh, now his agent, uh, business partner, Rich Kleinman, gave an interview this past week where he suggests that, that, that Kevin Durant may indeed play for Team USA this summer. And there was a reason that he allowed his name to be included in the, the list of, of 44 where the, the, the final team will be drawn. Um, but then Rich goes on to say something to the effect of like, yes, that's, that is on our plate, but the most important thing right now is the rehab and kind of checking off all those boxes. And I, I find it to be – I find that there would be no chance that Kevin Durant at age 31 coming off uh, an Achilles tear like that um, would – that his return to basketball would be with with Team USA um, 
and instead of with the Brooklyn Nets where he's signed for years and, and millions and millions of dollars. But but I want to talk to you about this in general, just this idea of when you look at this team and, you, and you're talking about this idea that it's not going to be like the World Cup last summer, that all these big names are going to play. Um, and then you think about KD, who's on the shelf, and you think about Steph, who has missed months and months and months, um, and then Clay Thompson, who's going to miss the entire year, and then now Kyrie Irving, who's out for the rest of the year. Um, would you recommend that any of these guys come back and play for Team USA, um, and do you think they will? Um. I, so I don't – I'm probably the wrong guy to ask because I have typically been the type that just yields to a pretty extreme degree to however the, the, the guy himself looks at his body, looks at his path, looks at what's best for him. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't give much deference to the NBA team when it comes to some sort of inalienable right. Can get that out. Sorry. Uh, that, that, you know, the, the debut and the return needs to come within their walls. Um, especially when you are talking about getting to the superstar level, I think you just, you got to let the reins go and trust that those guys are doing what's best for them, especially when the team USA program is held in such high regard. It's, you're not talking about, uh, letting these guys go off to, I mean, not, I don't know, there's no particular program to pick on, but I, there are certainly international programs that are not held in, in as high a regard. And so, Team USA, when you're sitting there with a staff like Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr and, and Jerry Colangelo and that group, you know, running the ship, um, that level of concern w- would not be, should not be a great at all. So selfishly, because we're going to be there, I would love to see all those guys take part. Yeah, I mean, that that would be great. Um, but when I look at when I look at this and I look think start thinking about the final roster and I think about really – not only Steph and Clay, who were a part of five consecutive finals. So this is the first time in forever that they've gotten a real break to their bodies. Now, yes, the, the breaks have been extreme uh, in both cases. And so you might say, well, they're ready to go now. But I'm just wondering, like, they finally had a summer off, you know, they, they, they finally had a playoffs off. They finally had chance to chance to really let their bodies recuperate. Why not finish that off? Um, and, and skip the summer. And then the same thing with, with Kevin Durant, who, yes, is also coming back from a major, like the, pretty much the worst injury you can have for an NBA player. Um, but he has also been a part of the last three finals. And then, you know, you start thinking about the other stars who have either committed or, or said they're interested or whatever. You know, you look at those two teams in, in Los Angeles, one of them is probably going to be in the finals and the other one's going to probably play right up until June. And so after a very deep playoff run is LeBron at age 35 with some work left to be done on Space Jam. Is he going to do this? Anthony Davis is going to is technically a free agent. I mean, nobody believes that he's actually going to exercise that, but but he's he's heading towards free agency. Is he going to sign up for Team USA? And on the other side, you've got Kawhi Leonard, you know, the load management extraordinaire. If he gets another team to the finals or almost to the finals after the year that he had the year before, is he then going to tack on three weeks or actually five weeks when you count training camps and all that? Um, Paul George, same thing after all the injuries that he's had this year. So, you know, now you're talking about a team that might not have, you know, Steph, Clay, Katie, Kyrie, LeBron, AD, 
Kawhi, PG. I mean, like I've just made a very realistic case that all of them are out. This is, you know, yeah. it's interesting to see how, like, how this all comes together. I agree, my friend. I will I'll tell you what, this to tie a bow on it. I'll, I'll try to get some perspective from Reg Kleiman, who, as I sit here perusing the uh, the list of panelist speakers at the Sloan conference, uh, Rich is going to be joining me. Perfect at Sloan. So there it is. But uh, yes, we shall see, brother. I know you got to get off to Pelicans Lakers. Uh, I got to go ward off this uh, this cold virus that is just kicking my backside. But thank you as always for uh, chiming in, and uh, thank you to the Lord listeners. Thank you to everybody for joining us, and we'll be back next week.